That was quite a surprise. It's an understatement when Seth said that. Uh, one of the things I definitely want to share with you, and I, I was sharing up here a minute ago on the stage, our family has grown up in this church, <laughs> and we look at this church as our family. So in that way, we're never leaving, <laughs> right? All of you, I've, we've got so many relationships with. Um, it is interesting when the Lord calls you to different things, what that means to get up and go and leave stability and relationships and things that you cherish so much. Um, it has been more than my privilege. It's been huge blessings just for the involvement of our family over the years here. Uh, it's hard for me not to drift back right away to sort of the first time I got up here. Uh, it was a, I'll tell you the short story and then we'll jump into it. Uh, we were at the picnic and Larry's standing around with myself and Jim and Frank's on the grill as normal and we're sitting around and they're talking about their vacations and someone goes, wait a minute, if you're all on vacation next week, who's preaching? <laughs> and they turned to me and said, hey, I think you might be able to do that. I was like, what? <laughs> so that's really how fast things started with me. And uh, that, that first message I still have somewhere. Uh, it was not good, <laughs> but it was from the heart. <laughs> and, um, you know, with the Lord's blessings and mercies, he's continued to develop me now for, we were looking at this the other day, right? Well over 12 years of being in the pulpit in some form and, and preaching. And so being here is that wonderful blessing for our family, and it's my privilege, and when they will have me back and invite me back for special occasions, I'll be so happy and excited to come back and see all of you. All right, so let's uh, jump into this, and maybe one more diversion before I start. And it's a, a little story of sorts. About 40 years ago, in the meatpacking industry, there was a huge movement to really move to ethical standards in slaughterhouses. Now, you might be wondering where I'm going with this. Bear with me a little bit, if you will. But that ethical movement, lest you be tempted to think it was just the altruistic good nature of men to think about how they treat animals, was really driven from one fact. And that fact was that they found out that if the animals were stressed and alarmed, and alerted before they went into the slaughterhouse, the meat would be tainted. They would release endorphins and chemicals into the meat that would actually sour the meat. So the whole industry got together, and it's a really interesting story if you go back and look it up, and it was an autistic process uh, improvement person that really weighed in and changed the industry. And that autistic person all their life had grown up and they were impacted by lights and sensory things, right, that, that would just set them off. And so he was the perfect person to really start working and set some practices for these cattle. So what developed over the years is this process whereby when it's time to slaughter the animals, right, they would move them on to a truck. And the way they would move them on the truck is they pull the truck into a gate that they had frequented. Right? So they would use this gate all the time to lead them out to pasture, knowing that one day the truck's going to pull up there and they would just go right in. Next thing with the truck is they would soundproof them in the trucks. 
They'd make sure there's nice fresh air flowing through these trucks instead of where they were before. And they would even work on the ride of the truck so that the truck was nice and smooth. They would change the suspension on it. They put non-skid strips and things on the bottom of the truck so that the cows wouldn't shake around and transport and move and get stressed and they kept it nice. When the truck arrives at the slaughterhouse, there's this thing, they call it the mother's touch. And there's like all these fingers in the gate. And what it does is form the cows as they go out and gently with sound and caressing kind of move them forward. Eventually they move forward and move up a ramp and a little thing comes underneath and lifts them up. And they're not even realizing that they're being lifted up until it's time to deal a lethal blow with a quick injection right to the brain. And then they're slaughtered and made for meat. Now, the reason that I started by saying this, right, is that the human race itself are cows. You and I are cows. And we're being cultivated by an ancient enemy in very much the same way, lulled into these false sense of securities, just moved along for our eventual demise, right? The New Testament tells us that Satan, the ancient foe, is so skillful, so learned, right, and has the ability of an ancient foe that he's able to sift an apostle like wheat. Right? That should scare us. That should really make us think. And instead of uh, the human race just moving along as cows, right, there's got to be something more where you take yourself out of this rat race, out of that funnel that ends you to a different goal. So today, we're continuing on in the series that faith has started with the life of Christ. And we come to a very important passage. Right? Last week, Seth talked about the baptism of Christ and starting off the ministry. Well, the temptation is the very next thing. So... Bow your heads with me. Let me open us in prayer, and then we'll jump to this. You can turn to Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. Heavenly Father, we don't want to be like cows. Uh, the thought of it, of, of us just kind of moving along in life, is really distasteful. But Father, beyond that, those of us who have read your word... Those of us who your Holy Spirit have touched know that this is not the life, this is not the end that you have for us. Father, today, as we look into your word, would you speak loudly to those who have ears? Father, I acknowledge that there may be some people in here who have yet to place their trust in you. Would you speak loudly to them, Father, and pull them out of that line? Would you change the course of their life such that they don't end up in that demise, but they end up knowing the plans that you have for them. Father, we thank you that you care enough about us to reveal yourself in your word. We look to it for guidance, yea, even life-giving waters to our soul. But Father, we thank you most for the gift of your Son, whom which we study in this series, who died for us and all of our sins on the cross. Father, we ask you these things in his name. Amen.
All right, so turn with me to Matthew 4, chapter 4, verses 1 to 11, and I'll read through these. I have a theory. You saw Jess started us off and said that, uh, you know, some of the PowerPoint problems that we've been having, or we might expect them and we haven't, but my theory is that Seth actually started that last week, right, with the no PowerPoint, or at least he could have covered you. Right, you didn't have to come clean, <laughs> but but Seth did. Um, but that aside, let's hope today goes well because I like load up the screen with scripture. So if you have, or you want to use and look at your own Bible, please do. That's the best. If you need one, look at the seat underneath in front of you. There's some in the NIV. I'm going to read from the ESV, and I put it up on the screen, hopefully to serve you so that you can see the blessed words of scripture. So. Verse 1, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and we're ministering to him. Outstanding scriptures for us to see our Lord. And as we read this in the temptation, the temptation that we have always to deal with is to read scripture haphazardly, maybe to fly through it, right? To check it off. Some of us, right, if you have that New Year resolution, say this year is the year that I'm going to read the Bible from beginning to end. Right? You may start in the Old Testament and you're going through a plan to read that. I commend you and I tell you, trust in the Lord on that and lean on Him. Right? Especially when you get to some of the different books like Deuteronomy. <laughs> right? All those lists and numbers can be very hard. But I would tell you, when you get stuck there, make sure you're reading something that can help explain that to you with that Bible. And it'll help you get through. Right? So our temptation here is to race through Scripture at times. So what I'm going to do as we go through here is really pull some things apart and hopefully give you some insight and some additional things to think about as you meditate over his word. Okay, those PowerPoint issues. And I tested it. 
One more time of restart. How about plan B? I was bragging to my wife that if need be, I could run this presentation from my phone. Looks like the Lord had it in mind for me to do just that. That won't help you too much. We don't need to rehearse with Coach. Hey, look at that. All right. It will not continue. So I'm going to walk us through this, and you're going to have to follow along. Oh, this came right up. <laughs> Maybe you won't, see? All right, so we'll start off with verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. One of the ways that you could go by this very quickly is to read that statement and think that it's just simply an intro, right? And maybe not know the importance of that statement. I want you to take a look at a couple of quick things, right? First, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So Seth talked a little bit about the wilderness. That's where his baptism occurred in the wilderness. But he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And I want you to think about this in the right way. Right? Jesus begins his ministry and he is led to go do something that we've been waiting thousands of years to happen. Going back to Genesis... Chapter 3, verses 14 to 15, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman. I'll make you an enemy of them, in other words. And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You shall bru he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Bruising the heel is a small thing. You can continue the ministry. It can cause you some pain in your walk, but a headshot's a mortal wound. 
So we see that this part of Jesus's life, I said, is like a title fight about to go on. Right? Let's get ready to rumble in the desert. This is not a, he happened to be there and Satan sneaks in like some places that they show. This is Jesus going out for the specific purpose of meeting the devil head on. Is it working? Yes. Why was that? We saw where Genesis predicted it. But why did he need to do it? Hebrews 2, verses 10 to 11. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Who's the he? Jesus. Right? There's an old joke in church that if the preacher asks a question of who, just say Jesus and you're going to be right. Right? Most of the time. So true. Right? So Jesus we see here, it was the Father's will for him to be made perfect through suffering. We don't generally think of suffering as a way to make us perfect. Right? And that word perfect in the Bible really means full, fruition, completed. You can bring all of that together in that word perfect. Right? So Jesus' role was to be made perfect or complete his ministry through suffering. And here's the start of his ministry, starting right off about his father's business. And then it goes into something else. It's quite amazing. It says that is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. And we could add sisters here too, right? Brothers and sisters. We have a high priest in Jesus that is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. That should blow your mind. Right? And he's not ashamed to call us that because he's both fully God. And what's that second part? Fully man, right? We talked about this during the Christmas season. I want you to harken back and think about that. In here, Christ is fully human in his testing. And he identifies with us. Much more so, we identify with him. But he's not ashamed to call us brothers. But it goes on. The passage goes on and in verse 2 says, After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. So not only is Jesus here for the title fight, but he's here to beat Satan with the proverbial one hand tied behind his back. Because Satan tested Adam when Adam was at his strongest. And here he is going to tempt Jesus when Jesus is at his weakest in humanity. So we look at, let's look at that a little bit, right? The first man, Adam, was tempted in a beautiful garden. Christ will be tempted in the lonely wilderness. The first man had a helpmeet suitable with him. Christ is alone. The first man was at his best when he's tempted. Every need was already met. Every desire 
Christ was weak and weary and worn down in his humanity, having the most basic need of food stripped from him. And yet, while the first Adam was defeated and ushered in the curse, the last Adam perseveres against temptation and bruises the serpent's head. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 45 to 47 says, Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. That's why we say Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. All things perfected in him and for him. So let's look at that first temptation. And you'll see by what I put up here, that first temptation can be characterized as a temptation of the flesh. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Probably important to note right off the bat, was it a sin that he was hungry? No. It's natural. There's no sin in being hungry. Right? There's a sin in how we respond to that stimulus. But it says that it's at this point that Satan came along and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Food being a desire of the flesh. Right? No sin in it that you're there, but the statement in red we need to pay particular attention to here. Satan suggests that if Christ is God's son, God should not be withholding anything from him. Right? It's the exact same tempting again as we saw in Genesis. Right? He's talking about this saying, wait a minute, if he's the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. The underlying issue is, why should you suffer? Right? Why should you be denied? Let's look a little further. Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Right? We know that story. Right? Most of us do. From childhood, we're told this Adam and Eve story. And the whole key that comes before it is God says, you can eat of everything except this one fruit. And the devil comes to them and says, did he actually say that? The implication is, why would he withhold something from you? And he goes further on in this story and he says in the Genesis story, right? No, he told you that, and he's withholding this fruit from you. Because why? You'll have the knowledge of good and evil, and you'll become like God yourself. Right? That same implication is the first way in which Christ is tempted. Exactly the way we are tempted. Right? The exact way that Adam was tempted and failed on the first attempt. They come to Satan. Satan does the exact same to us when he says... Did God actually say? Right? We know you shouldn't lie. 
But certainly there are some circumstances where God would be okay with little white lies, right? Now, you should have no other gods besides me. We know that, and we know that God says that, but certainly, right? We have to love ourselves like we love God. Maybe it wouldn't hurt to worship God and money, right? Why can't we worship money, too? We're still worshiping God, right? How about keep holy the Sabbath? We hear that, but certainly, right, God understands if I stop going to church regularly and being with believers regularly because I love him, he loves me, right? I can worship him alone. It'll be fine. Right? Satan always comes after us in this way, and you can insert anything you want after this. Right? It's sort of a fill in the blank. You get it. Right? When Satan comes at you, takes a piece isolates it and says to you, did God really say? Right? God wouldn't condemn me to hell because he loves everybody and he would never have some of his children go to hell. That's one piece of scripture isolated all by itself. And it doesn't speak to the fullness of scripture. But what's our Lord's answer here? He answers, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus lived under the authority of God's word. All of it. He didn't pick a piece of it that he liked, right? Throw out the things that didn't seem to be popular. Get rid of the things that are impalatable or in his way, right? Let me do these things I can see we all agree with, but somebody's going to laugh at me if I do this one piece of God's word and I, I put this into my thing. Jesus lived by Every word. And that bread alone, Jesus is saying what? My spiritual well-being is more important than my physical well-being here. So he exceeds Adam in the very first test. Where Adam failed, he succeeds. Knowing the priorities of my spiritual life and health over my physical life and health. Let's go on to temptation number two. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. So what's this thing about the pinnacle of the temple? Did you ever notice that like Gothic designers and all these churches and everything that came uh, within the New Testament, every church has this huge spire, right? And the earlier churches had the higher spires. <laughs> Everything was really pointy and showed up. Why? Because it's supposed to have, when you look at that building, that you not linger and marvel over the building itself and the things of this earth, but that this building is there to point you upward towards the one who is supreme. So when he takes, Satan takes and puts him on the pinnacle, it's a physical reminder, you are supreme. You're meant to be the supreme Lord. I'm acknowledging it here. Right? But he goes on. And he says to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Wow. Let's look at how crafty Satan is a second. Right? 
Jesus answered him with scripture to the first challenge. The second temptation, the devil preempts that. If you haven't noticed before, notice this right now. Satan knows scripture. I dare tell you that Satan knows scripture better than anyone in this room. He's had thousands and thousands of years to study it. Right. Sun Tzu in Art of Warfare, right, says that one of the keys to victory is to know your enemy and know them completely. Satan knows his enemy. He stood right there at the throne and saw the worship of God. He knows God has seen them. Right? We can go to books like Job and you can see that he has access and comes through and tempts right, and impugns God's people continually. He knows things and is well above our capabilities. You and I would not be matched for this. A lot of people think that starting off the Bible that Adam was the first man and therefore he was somehow not perfected in the way that he was created. Right? That he was created and men have gotten better and better over time. I'll tell you, as you read through the Bible, it's actually reversed. Adam is arguably the best of us at the time, right? And man has continued to sink and become more and more depraved. Talks about times as we get closer to the end times where our itching ears won't bear up with things anymore. We're going to want to hear and indulge ourselves as we go, right? Men left to their own nature just devolve and divest back. So Adam was strong and couldn't stand. You and I don't have a chance against Satan by ourselves. So Satan dares Jesus here to prove the faithfulness of God. You can go back and you can look at this and see where this quote is. Some of you that are in your Bible, you have a tag, you go back and you see where Satan's quoting it. And depending upon your version, you may think he misquotes it, but I think it's pretty close. Right? He's quoting scripture as it is, using scripture, but using it out of context and out of place. Right? He says to him, hey, if you're the son of God, you can throw yourself down because we know that he's going to command his angels concerning you and they're not going to do that. How does our Lord respond? And for those who want to look, though, that's Psalm 91, verses 11 to 12. It says, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways when their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus says to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. What is Satan doing now for the second time? This time, especially apparent, he's saying, doubt God. Right? The first time he said, doubt God for the provisions. Doubt God that he has good things in mind for your life. Doubt God that your basic needs will be met in the midst of your ministry. The second one, he says, doubt God and what God has said. He says, you know what? Make God prove it. Don't just let God say it. Make him prove it. And Christ answers with scripture in another place. And says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Meaning, I trust God 
and I'm not going to ask him to prove it. I'm going to follow him. That's a tough lesson for us. Right? Think about that. In the midst of your challenges and trials, can you say, I trust God fully in what's going on? Oh, I'm not that strong sometimes. Right? When they hit me in that weakness, definitely by myself, that's something that's just crazy to think about and do. Right? When all things seem to fall down. But the Son of God does it, and we know that we're sons and daughters. And in Him, we're brothers and sisters. And through Him, we can answer in the same way. I trust God in my circumstances. Temptation number three. This is the easy way. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. What's the devil doing here? Christ, I know you were sent here so that all the kingdoms of the earth will worship you. To call them back into communion with you, the Father and the Spirit. Except you don't have to be crucified. Right? That's how it comes in a whisper. You can still accomplish all those things. You don't have to do it God's way. Right? The ends justify the means. Have we heard that lie before? How does Christ answer again for us, though? He says to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Again from Scripture, but again, Jesus lives under the authority of God's word. All of it. He doesn't pick it apart, choosing the parts he likes, and pushing aside the inconvenient or the impalatable when necessary. He fully trusts God. He trusts God for his food and sustenance and security. Right? He trusts God in the way that God is asking him to accomplish these things in here. He trusts God in the midst of his circumstances that he will be brought through those and that there's purpose in that. He trusts God completely. At this point, what does that ancient foe do? Right, that one that's so hard to conquer. Jesus says, be gone. And then the devil leaves him. He folds. He's been beaten. And he's been beaten handily. Right, a lot of times out there today you'll see things and they show you like God versus Satan. And they're like equal, like yin and yang. And they're fighting together, right? They're not equal at all. Satan is no match for our Lord. No match whatsoever. And what's the significance of three ways of being tempted? For the Hebrews, the number three was the number of certainty. In other words, if something happened once, eh, it happened. Something happened twice, might be a coincidence. Right? But when something happens three times, it's certain. That's why when we say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord... His holiness is complete and certain in fulfillment, right? It's three levels. Christ's temptation was three levels. It's full. It's complete in every way that we're going to be tempted. 
I love what Dr. Russell Moore says about this. And those who don't know Dr. Russell Moore, he is the president of the Ethics Committee of the Southern Baptist Convention and a theologian. He's not R.C. Sproul, but he's close. So I, my last one, I broke the pattern. <laughs> but he says, you will be tempted exactly as Jesus was because Jesus was being tempted exactly as we are. You will be tempted with consumption, security, and status. You will be tempted to provide for yourself, to protect yourself, and to exalt yourself. And at the core of these three is a common impulse, to cast off the fatherhood of God. That's his purpose. Right? The enemy is one sore, sour, defeated foe. Yeah, he's formidable. Yeah, he's skillful. Yeah, he's got ancient knowledge. Right? But he is petty and he will take anybody with him that he can get his claws into. Right? That's why the Bible warns us that he prowls around like a lion looking for who he can snare. The good news is we're not left there in the snare. And at this point, I'll tell the worship team if they'd like to make their way back to the stage, they can. I'm going to hit a couple of uh, scripture. Corinthians tells us that therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. That is a lifeline to our life here on earth. <laughs> when I was just putting up the slides ahead of time, Theron quoted it right away when he saw some of my slides. He knows, right? Because you're relying on that as a lifeline in your life daily. It's there to rescue. 14 says, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless is not a participation in the blood of Christ. The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. When we have Christ as our Savior, and we are sons and daughters, right, we have the most excellent and preeminent thing ever. Why would we go to a secondary? Why would we fall for a temptation, some cheap imitation right? that's out there, some phony created things when we can worship the creator? Hebrews 12, 14 and 18 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. And it says, and he delivers all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation a switch. The perfect man, the last Adam, the one who endured the temptation, who was perfected in all suffering, stands in for you and I and takes the punishment that you and I deserve. Oh, that last word, let me make sure I say that louder. He stands in and takes the punishment that you and I deserve for all those times that we break, right? For all those times that we doubt, 
for all those times that we go after the easy way. We go after something shiny and we know the right way in many of those cases. It's not just a slip and falling short. Right? We do it willfully. We run to it. For all those times, he switched and took our place and took God's full wrath so that we can be called sons and daughters of God. Right? For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Now, as we look to the cross and the one who saved us, the worship team's going to lead us back. But I would say to you, if you walked in here today and you don't know Christ as a Savior, you're in that cattle line. You might not think so. You can argue with me. I can tell you at the end, that's what you are. You are lining up for the slaughter. Your rescuer is here today confronting you. And I would encourage you to put your full trust in him. Trust him as your savior. One, with all your sustenance, all your fleshly needs, everything that you are. Two, in every circumstance, trust him. When Satan comes to you and says, you're not really saved because you failed that temptation again. Right? You say, it is written. <laughs> he took my sins for me. It's on him that those burdens were laid. Right? I have a future with the Father because of Him, not because of my failure. There is no condemnation for me, therefore. And then that last way, let's not follow Christ in our own way, right? Let's not try to achieve the ends the easy way. Let's follow and listen to His Spirit, right? Let's let Him dictate the way in which we're to live out our ministry, in which way we're to be a witness, in which way we're to live our lives and glorify Him. Amen? Amen. Amen.